two kids looking for a new thrill. Hey, just like I promised. Yeah, sure. But this time, the thrill went too far. Crack has claimed another victim. Dealers are making up their own rules, and no one is able to stop them. Somebody has got to crack down. Who are you? Death. Charles Bronson in the biggest death wish ever. They have to be stopped, cousin. Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. Spent a small fortune buying information on the major drug dealers in Los Angeles. I'll handle this my own way, no interference from you. He's working to destroy the drug empire. either him or us. Now, Bronson is their target. The trap is set. Here he comes. The fuse is lit. Bronson is unleashed. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. Death Wish 4 is the story of one man taking on drug mobs. Or is it? Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. This is the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Or is it a crossover? A crossover, we're doing our first crossover. Hey, 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 that's right. Scott White, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Mean Mark, thank you for having me back on your podcast. We are without Derek this time, he has some personal matters to take care of, so... Uh, so Godspeed to, to Derek and all the stuff he has to deal with. I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's busy cleaning up the streets of Kingston, Ontario right now. So we're, we're wishing him well there. We decided to do this uh, first crossover, Death Wish 4. Bronson yeah, the, is back. Bronson is back. Now over on the Or Is It podcast here at uh, CanadianMovieCrew.com is where I'm from. And uh, you can find our other reviews, our Or Is It podcast, where we try and find the story behind the real story. And there, we've done uh, some of the other Death Wish movies. I gotta say, Scott, you kind of buried the lead with this one, and and we'll get to why at the very end. And there's something very specific I want to talk about as to why this, to me, is one of the craziest. Uh, it doesn't seem that way going through with why this is one of the craziest action movies I've ever seen. Yeah, gonna, definitely. I'm, I'm gonna tease you with that, and I'm I'm an action movie guy. You're an action movie guy. There's there's something that happens at the end that makes it the weirdest one I've ever seen. So, oh, uh, let me ask you this: Is this movie is this a letdown after Death Wish three? Only in certain respects. Uh, I love a good eighties uh, wild gang, which we got in Spades and Death Wish three. But I think this one is kind of returned to form. He's back doing architecture again. You know, so that, I think this is kind of more what they what they were going for through the, the series, if I'm not mistaken, right? You are correct, sir. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was good. You know what I mean? And then the end, it was just like what? And so again, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to play that okay. card too soon. Well, we, uh, the movie starts off. The first three Death Wishes were directed by Michael Winner. So this is the first Death Wish not directed by him. It was directed by J. Lee Thompson, who directed a bunch of uh, Charles Bronson movies. Uh, Evil That Men Do, Kinjeti, I believe. Uh, I believe this might have been the first time they've worked together. But okay. he, directed quite, he directed quite a few Charles Bronson's movies. This is the first one not directed by Michael Winner. And this is the first one 
without a graphic rape scene. We almost get it at the beginning, but we don't. What is with this series and opening up with... <laughs> I, I don't... I, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> but uh, what is with this series? Like, does that always have to be the touchstone or the, the, the trigger for him to jump into action? It's like, hey, Pally, I ain't getting off the couch for anything less than rape. Like, <laughs> what is this? The, the, the movie starts it, a, a bunch of tropes all at once. The parking lot late at night, only car in the parking lot. This woman is walking to her car. Car won't start. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, woman alone, uh, oddly parked. Uh, first of all, the most boring credit so- sequence, just an empty parking lot. They're not even on the car yet. And it's just the, the credits. Uh, I'd rather just a black screen. I don't know why we had to watch the inside of this parking lot. Well, And then they wait till they, that's done. And then they start panning over to watch the, the lady walking to her car. She looks She looks up and there's one guy. And then she looks down and she looks up and there's two guys. And then she looks down and she looks up and there's three guys. And I know this was supposed to sort of build tension. I found it actually quite comical. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree. I was... It was like this this weird... Well, first of all, I mean, do you remember the 80s when apparently ladies didn't think their legs were white enough? And so... <laughs> yes, I remember women wearing white nylons all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it was only nurses, and then they phased it out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, this this weird kind of... It's it's like a bad magic trick. Yes. You know what I mean? You know, I was way... <laughs> I thought that we'd have another white stocking lady come out and be like the lovely assistant with the hand flourishes and just kind of, <laughs> and now da another da guy da appears. And then confetti. And then there's the third guy. <laughs> the third one is she looks down and she looks up and they're all gone. And she thinks they've gone away. Why would you think that? <laughs> oh, thank God. The masked men are leaving. <laughs> the men who are wearing nylons on their heads, they've left me alone. Yes, that's exactly how that works out. Yeah, what were they there just to give you fashion tips? Like, oh, no, just wear the wear this color nylon, lady. Like, don't forget, you know, forget about the white ones. Wear the beige. And uh, I got to say, uh, uh, BMW makes, like, the best windshields. These guys go whole hog on this thing for a while. Yes, they do. Why? All you have to do is break the driver's window. It, yeah. but, but they're they're going on the windshield and the back. It's just like you want to get her out of the car, just break the driver's side window, open the door, and pull her out. All that other stuff, you're just wasting energy. Well, yeah, and guess what? At, at the end of it all, you've got a BMW with just one broken window. If you do it that way, right? You, right? You're going to need a you're going to need a getaway. Yeah, I don't know if how good your disappearing act is if you can all of a sudden appear at home, but yes. <laughs> You might need some wheels because <laughs> they didn't drive in. No, if, if they did, they parked on another level of. Let's park. Let's park a level up and walk down. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're in the green lot, level three. Okay, we're yeah. gonna. <laughs> Do you think they the cars showed up that way too? Da 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 da. Oh, thankfully though, it's just a dream. It is. And it's not her dream. It's not the woman. It's Charles Bronson. Because we look up and we see Charles Bronson. And I'll have to admit, Charles Bronson looked really cool in that sil- in that uh, silhouette. The long uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, with the trench, trench coat. coat. He yeah. looked really cool. And I also think at his age, he's got to be in his mid-60s during this movie. That might be the best way to shoot him, is in silhouette. 
and not a lot of, not a lot of close-ups and stuff. Like yeah, that. he is. At the, he's sixty-six years old when this is released, so you figure he's sixty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when they when they're filming it, and uh, but you're right, and and then he's just got that little. One of the things I find great about Charles Bronson is he can look menacing and badass with the tiniest gun. He's got just this little purse gun that you know. <laughs> what I mean, <laughs> but yet somehow. You know you're dead meat, and and it works. I mean, the, the, these guys are pleading for their lives and stuff, and he's blowing their heads off, and it, you know, what I mean, like it does the job, and it's easily easy to conceal. But I always found that funny. Like he doesn't always have to have the biggest gun in the room to be the biggest badass in the room. He's not uh, Clint Eastwood with the forty-four. With yeah, the Magnum. right, right. Yeah, I wonder if you saw Dirty Harry. It was uh, <laughs> you don't need. What are you compensating for, Pelly? Yeah, hey, Clint. <laughs> But as you said, it's all a dream. It's Charles Bronson's dream. And he wakes up and he's in a cold sweat. And then we go to him in his architect. So he's back to being an arch- He's at, back to being Paul Kersey. Because if yeah. I'm not mistaken, in Death Wish Free, in Death Wish Three, he had a different name. He was on. Uh, yeah, he was kind of hiding from the law, I think. So he took a different name. Isn't that right? Like he was under a false name just for a little, like kind of laying low. Till the heat. Yes. Till the heat from Death Wishes one and two <laughs> was was off. Yeah, but he's in his architects, and his his name is on the door. Is I guess this is like it's his, his company. Yeah. yeah, it's his firm. That's it. This uh, this teenage girl walks in with a bunch of with a bunch of drawings, and this was this was a subtle thing, but I liked it. Charles Bronson in all these movies in his sixties, he's always got a girlfriend that's at least thirty years younger than he is. Yep, in this case, 32 years. 32 years. <laughs> yeah, I did, did the math on that one, too. Kay Lentz is the actress's name. Uh, born in 1953, as we know, Charles, born in 1921. But there's a girl that walks in, and it's his girlfriend's daughter. And she wants to be an architect, and she, so, she shows him some drawings. And Charles Bronson says, they're good. They're not great, but, <laughs> but they're good. Yeah. And <laughs> I have that in my notes, too. <laughs> Way to go, buddy! Way to instill confidence in this kid. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Not great, but pretty damn good. You know, but pretty damn good. Yeah, <laughs> I respect the fact that he was honest in that situation. I, you know what? I, I guess it's kind of that. You know, you're you're on your way, right? Like, yeah, try a little harder. You know, you, yeah. you got some practice. You you need, yeah, and and you'll and you'll get there, but. <laughs> Oh my God, yeah, that that made me laugh. Like this, this is a a, a comedy of the highest order. You know? <laughs> oh no! And so, uh, is it after this we go to the bad guys? We we start seeing the bad guys. Well, after this we go to his girlfriend's house. That's right. Where and that's when the boyfriend picks her up. That's when right. the boyfriend picks up Charles Bronson's girlfriend's daughter, and they start smoking pot. Right in front of, in the driveway. Yeah. Right in front. It's, wait till you leave. Yeah, I know it's the 80s, but like, the, you gotta at least wait till you leave the, yeah, drive down a block in, in your IROC Z. Yes. <laughs> before you start. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Charles Bronson sees this and doesn't say anything to his girlfriend about his, her, you know, her daughter smoking pot. Yeah. Yeah. And so they go to an arcade, which is awesome. 
That is totally 80s right there in our Big game. Yes. Oh, I, I recognize some of the games. The Car Warriors, Spy Hunter, Ms. Pac-Man. Like, there's some uh, obscure games, but ones that I played back in the day. The boyfriend and the girlfriend are looking to score some... They're, they're going to score some dope. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, are you a Star Trek fan at all, Scott? I am... Uh, I'm not... I'm a fan. I'm not... I recognize that that guy is from the TV show, though, right? The, That's right. That's where I was headed. Yeah. So you there's know. you have your main drug dealer and then his right hand man. Yes. Right. So the right hand man is played by Tim Russ, who goes on to play Tuvok, a Vulcan, on Star Trek Voyager. What did we say about about punks in in Charles Bronson's movies? Always go on to bigger and better things. That's right. Yep. Yep. The, exactly. So there we go. And, and you can tell this guy, the main guy, he's a bad guy. He's got his hair slicked back. That's always yeah. a telltale, right? If And his, his collar was popped. Yeah. Popped oh, collar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like an 80s flourish for the bad guy. That gets dropped later yeah. on, which is disappointing, but, you know. Well, what happens is the main drug dealer takes the girl in the back and he gives her, I'm guessing it's crack cocaine because it's in pill form, but he doesn't say what it is, but he gives it to her. Doesn't he tell her not to share? He does. He says, don't share with your boyfriend. That's all for you. Yeah. That's not alarming. And she ODs. She ODs and dies on... They say it's a cocaine overdose. Well, uh, of, of course she does, Scott, because she's a nice young woman with a bright future ahead of her in an action movie. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> instant dead meat. <laughs> No, then we get the uh, obligatory hospital scene, which is in all Death Wish movies, where they're hanging out in the hospital. That's right. Nothing against the actors, and, but... Yeah, in the hospital scene, I, I was waiting for the wailing mother. I, I didn't get that. We got... She kind of looked, like, very put out. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, dear. You know, she just puts her hands over her face, like, oh, this is going to cause some, tr some trouble. I noticed in, uh, another uh, kind of an 80s trope... Um, the doctor, Doctor Rosenblatt. It's like every every eighties, uh, all the eighties. When you go to the hospital, you know you're being taken care of because the doctor has like a Jewish name. Oh, I don't know yes. what what that was in the eighties, but apparently, like you you couldn't be a good doctor unless you know you were of uh, of, of that descent. I don't know, but you know it just seemed to be you know Doctor Goldstein's going to patch you up. Doctor Rosenblatt's here. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just one of those things I noticed over time. Randy, what's going on? Mrs. Shelton, I'm Dr. Rosenblatt. What happened to my daughter? She's had a cocaine overdose. It's ridiculous. Erica doesn't use drugs. I'm afraid she did tonight. Code blue in room six. Doctor, she's arrested with no pulse. She get her Narcan and glucose? Yes, sir. Four no response. You can't come in here. You have to wait outside. All right, bring in the panels. Come on, we got a shot. Okay, everybody off? Buff, clear. The next night... Charles Bronston follows the boyfriend back to the arcade because the boyfriend's going to confront the drug dealer. Yeah. The boyfriend, and here's another trope, the boyfriend just starts yelling at the drug dealer, I'm going to the cops, I'm telling them everything. It's like, just keep your mouth shut. Don't even go confront the guy. If you're going to do that, go do that. Go to the cops right away. But he goes oh, yeah. to the drug dealer... <clears throat> He confronts the drug dealer. He says he's going to turn the drug dealer in, so the drug dealer stabs him. Right. Why Why give this guy a chance to kill you? What do you? He's a drug dealer. What do you think he was going to do? Give you a ride to the police station? 
that's almost as bad as when people are in a deserted place and they're like, it's a good thing I didn't tell anybody I was going to be here yeah. alone with you. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I like how, how the drug dealer, like, when he gets confronted in the arcade, he's like, no, 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 let's go talk over here. Beside the bumper cars? Like, well, how is that more private? <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of people right there, and no one notices it, it, him stabbing anybody. I guess they're just having too much fun. The way it was filmed is people were back and forth. If you weren't looking for it, you probably wouldn't see it. Um, I guess, I guess. But Bronson sees it because nothing gets past those eyes. Nothing has passed those sixty-six-year-old eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he always and I, Charlie. I think he does this in every. He goes, "Hey," he's. He, I think that's his signature. Hey, <laughs> oh yeah, that was perfect. That was perfect. That sounded just yeah. like him. Oh my god. Yeah. Hey. Uh, and that that always is is a good one too for the action movies because you have. Like the, the the good guy is far enough away from the bad guy that he he knows he has to close the distance to like have him at gunpoint, subdue him, or confront him in some fashion. Right? I'm being a little bit more general now, but they always scream, "Hey!" Like the guy's going to be like, "Yes," and just kind of stuff. I'll wait here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, no, take your time, sir. Come on over whenever yes. you're ready and point that gun at me. I'll be right here. As uh, yeah. The guy just stabs somebody. Someone says, hey, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> What's going to happen is he's going to climb on top of the building and be above, uh, like you said, they moved next to the uh, bumper cars. Yeah. And and they had that the bumper cars are all connected to the ceiling, you know, the electric ceiling. Mm-hmm. And, and Bronson shoots the drug dealer. He falls on the, onto the on top of the roof and he gets electrocuted. I was just no, going to no, say, I, I, I love that death. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just got to get in. I, I lo- actually love the double death. That's always a fun trope for me when it's like, it's like the bullet should do the job, but no, no, he's going to also get electrocuted. To, one of those things is going to kill him. <laughs> what I thought was funny is the the guy on the microphone is like, everybody stay calm. Everybody stay in your car. Like he was the minute the guy started, he was right on top of him. I'm like, that is a, that is a great employee. He did not waste any time telling everybody to stay in the car and cut the power. There's a body. I, that must happen more often than, than we think. He was, he was right on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I was just going to say the same thing. Like, he's seen this before, and the management is glad they had Jimmy working that night. And any, any other employee would have lost their shit, but Jimmy has seen stuff go down. He knows the protocol. He's probably taught a little mini seminar on it on a, on their day off. You know what I mean? On <laughs> what to right. do when a dead body falls on the bumper cars, right? <laughs> He's done that tutorial. You bet. But uh, yeah, he was right on it. Though. That was right on it. Yeah, yeah. Like like too much on it. <laughs> well, like this was just he was just staring at the ceiling the whole time, waiting for that. Uh, yeah. Oh, fuck. Now yeah, here we go again. Yeah. Another... Another Saturday night ruined, but all right, stay calm, everybody, and stay in your cars, blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> Our next scene is we cut to a couple of cops who are investigating it. During their investigation, one of these uh, punk kids, they saw the guy who did it, and they, I didn't see his face, but I saw his car. The cops get a description of Bronson's car and the last three numbers of the license plate. Right. You're talking about the, Bill, the Billy Idol lookalike? Yeah. The Billy Idol guy. Yeah. 
I could see it. Okay, I'll talk about this later. Why would you take your car? I mean, I know he doesn't. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's very, very sloppy that he took his own car. It does. I mean, he, he brought his car, okay, and his gun. Now, if he's brought his gun with him, he intends to do something. And if you intend to do something like that, you don't want to be identified by your car. Right. So maybe take a taxi there. But you need um, a getaway vehicle, so it's kind of hard to... Well, I mean, you do need to get it, but isn't there... I, I mean, mean there, there, there had to be a way for him to disappear. There, yeah, I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. It's not like you can just jump in a bumper well, car and leave. He didn't have time to plan it. This just seems very, very convenient for the plot to put the cops on his trail. You know what? I think in this case, uh, it would be a matter of parking. So you, you, you go in there to confront a drug dealer. You have your gun with you. Shit could get messy. Maybe I'm parking like a block away. And so if something happens, I can just kind of, I can leave and find my vehicle hidden away and then leave. Yeah, I never thought of that. That's that's a good that's a good take on this. And yeah, well, a smart, yeah, like because I've, I've seen that in other movies, right? Where they, they yes, they take their own vehicle, but they they kind of hide it off, uh, away around a corner or out of sight, so that way they can just get to their getaway. Or, vehicle, bug out. I mean, maybe it would, or maybe take your license plate number or put a, a different license plate number on it. Yeah, I mean, it, that's generally a bad guy move, but but he, yeah, but at the same time, like he he's a vigilante, like. Batman doesn't leave his license plate on the on the car. Yeah, <laughs> I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You can find me at you know. Yes, <laughs> he doesn't leave his address on the notes. You know. <laughs> no, you're you're right. So it's kind of that weird. It's like weird. He, I he's know. Smart, it, right? We, he he is smart. He's been doing this for years. <laughs> well, the next scene is is it the funeral scene? No, the next scene is he comes home, and he finds that note under the door that says, I know who you are. Oh, yes, yes, okay. And then he gets the phone call, and this guy's on the phone saying, I sent a limo for you, get in my limo. Hey! A limo drives Charles Bronson to this guy's house. The guy's name is Nathan White. Yeah. And he's supposedly a a rich uh, philanthropist. And he tells Bronson that his daughter was killed by drugs, and he knows who everybody knows who Bronson is. It's like except the cops. Except the cops, he has the worst kept vigilante secret ever. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he he might as well have a Tony Stark "I am Iron Man" moment. Well, because the guy says, "I know you shot that drug dealer last night." How? That was that was literally that was less than twenty four hours ago. If well, that's what I'm guessing. But how did you know? If nobody knows that you shot that drug dealer, there's no possible way he could have known. You're, you're right, because because he shoots the drug dealer, gets in his car, drives to his house. <laughs> yeah. Finds the note and there's the, and the limo and then gets the phone call and the limo driver is there to take him away. So that all happened like he shot the guy like an hour ago, two hours ago. Yeah. Man. He, like the, the blood isn't hasn't even stopped, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and you're right. And. And it's funny because he knows the guy's, the drug dealer's boss doesn't find out till like two, three days later because we uh, see that phone call. You know what? I think, I think we did skip the funeral. Uh, actually, no, no, you're right. We're not, we're not there because. Oh no, the, the funeral comes up. The funeral comes up after the scene. Yep. Yeah. 
So yeah, so he, he has the his initial meeting with Nathan White, who tells him he wants to clean up the streets, and he he wants Bronson to help him do it. So it's yeah, like this is a kind of a new wrinkle, right? Like you get someone who wants to who finds out who he is and wants to recruit him for his particular set of skills. Well, not really, because that's what the cop did in Death Wish Three. He found out who he was and recruited him to kill the punks. In yeah, but this is this is more of like a, um, I'm going to finance your crusade. Yes, yes, you're right. Style about that. as as opposed to uh, as opposed to a matter of convenience, right? Where the cop finds out, oh, he happens to have a vigilante living next door or whatever. This is more like uh, he he sought him out to recruit him and is going to going to you know like Bruce Wayne getting someone outside to finance the Batmobile kind of thing. And then we go to the funeral scene. Charles Bronson's girlfriend is a newspaper reporter. Charles Bronson, you know, this is one of the... Charles Bronson doesn't do a lot of talking in this movie. No. But, he, but in this one, he gives her the speech, you know, you're a writer, write! When Michael died, Erica was only five. I made a promise to her. And no matter what happened, she would always come first. I let her down. I was too involved with my work to see what was going on. You've got to stop this and now. I know how you feel because I've been there. You think you should have done something different, but that's not so. It's not true. It's not your fault that Erica died. It's those damn drugs. I'm so angry. It feels so helpless. I, w- I want to do something. I don't know what to do. You're a writer. Write about it. Let people know about drugs. Just keep pounding on it. Yeah, very calm, eh, about the whole thing. Like This woman just lost her daughter. You know, and... And the the conversation that they have doesn't seem to be funeral adjacent. You know what I mean? Like, this is, like, something that you would think that would happen, I don't know, like a year later when she's had a chance to grieve and cry and and really, you know, internalize her pain and everything like that. Now, what is she going to do about it? But no, no. Mor- this, mourning, sorry, and movie, mourning and movies are, are very, very condensed. People do not mourn in movies. They move no. right on. Unless that's the point of the movie that they're mourning. But in generally in action movies where a loved one is killed, people just move right on to the next step in their lives. Well, while that is true, I, I think um, uh, it, in, in this case, it's really uh, a lot of times it's this is now the grieving mother. Like there's, there's sometimes the split, right? The, the grieving parent is going to grieve and then our action hero is going to move on and go do something about it so this is rare to see the grieving mother now she's just immediately you know call to action for her i think that's kind of you know now did you notice um the funeral procession we have like a beat-up toyota we have (laughs) then we have a, a limousine and then the Buick Tornado. Uh, who is in the limo 
the mom should be in the limo. It's her daughter's funeral. Why is she in the tornado with with, with Bronson? Why are the Why do they take his car to the funeral? Who's in the limo? Who is more Who Who is more Who's closer to that young woman than the mom? Why didn't she warrant a limo ride? I don't, I don't understand. Know. It bothered me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> When you, just when you think about if I had if I had a kid and then my kid dies, I'm like, what? I can't ride in the limo. What the hell is it for? When you watch movies as, as enough as we have, it's always the little things that bug you. It's never the big things. No, it's no, always it's... the little things. It's like, why did they do that? Uh, I, yeah. I understand perfectly. I didn't notice that, but I, I the, but the little things pick at me as well. Like, I, uh, fine if he takes his car, but then don't you don't need to rent the limo. You could save the money. And they're just at the front of the or you move that conversation to the back of the limo and it's, it's, it's her and, 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 and Bronson, you know, now, Hey, now they don't even have to drive. So someone else can do that. Now they can focus on their conversation. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So Karen decides she's going to take on drugs. Her publisher is like, nobody cares about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. This guy's so, it's the 80s. It's the new norm. It's the new norm. Everybody's doing drugs. Nobody cares that your daughter's dead on drugs. Yeah, the poor, the rich, politicians, uh, uh, yeah. House, just, housewives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the, yeah. <laughs> this guy was all, he had just 10 seconds of fame right there, but he was great. It was just, it's the new norm. Like, don't worry about it. It's, and this is 1987, so we're actually kind of coming to the end of that. You know, I mean, we still got a few more years left, but at the same, we still got a few more years. But this, the the height of the '80s is winding down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it, it, the new norm. Like this is going to be it forever, baby. Cocaine is going to flow till the end of time. You know. <laughs> then we have. Then we go to the morgue, where oh. we just where we see all these. You know this. Uh, a crack pipe blew up in his face, and this is she turned her trick. She's turning tricks. It's really, really, it's over the top. It, yes, I, I don't want to make fun of this, but really, is half your morgue going to be filled with people who died with drug? You're not going to have a heart attack in there, or you're not going to have a, a car accident. Your whole yeah. morgue is full of people who died of drugs or drug related. How about somebody that fell down some stairs? You know, they're yeah, yeah. in there too. That that idiot that fell off his roof and onto a rake or something. Like, right? Where's where's that guy represent? No, no. And and it's like, and he, he kind of ordered that. Like, you sure you want to do this? And it's it's like he had the whole presentation laid out in his mind. Okay, I'm going to start with the 18 year old. Then we're going to go to the 16 year old, and and so finally, 13 year old girl turning tricks on the like the worst absolute case you could possibly yeah. have throat slit like just the most god awful story you uh, you never want to hear and it's he's like ah, save the big one for last baby you know what I mean like <laughs> Mort- morticians are kind of weird <laughs> or at least in movies they are they're always presented as weird I don't I don't, I don't know any real ones but in the movies they're always presented these weirdos and this guy is right along with it because usually morgue workers are wacky you get the wacky morgue yes, yes. Like they're eating a yep. sandwich so at least he was he wasn't a typical wacky. So Bronson goes back to the millionaire's house and he says he's going to do it. I'll start killing these uh these rival gangs, these drug dealers. 
That's right. And while that's happening, we go to the police station, and they say the slug that they that they dug out of the drug dealer at the arcade. They find out that the vigilante is back. The bullet matches an old case that from the vigilante. That's right. Yeah. Same gun. So, <laughs> so he's been the vigilante for years. Never switches guns. Nope. <laughs> what? Brings his own car. Same gun he's been using for years. Like the. This is not painting a great picture of someone who's supposed to be intelligent and getting away with this stuff. Well, yes, and when something happens later in the film, I'll bring it back up. But he had an... I'll bring it up now. We see later in the film that he has a whole arsenal. Yes. Take a different gun. Yeah. You know, you could technically use a different gun every night you went out and hunted punks just to make it a little more difficult on the police. But yeah, just take a different. You have a different gun. Take a different gun. That's right. I mean, he he likes the the, the little punk hunter three thousand. That's fine. But get two of them, maybe different yeah. ballistics. You're telling me you haven't killed a punk that had a gun on him? Well, take his gun and use that. So that's registered to somebody else. If you're yeah, gonna... so, right. So then punk, the next punk you kill looks like the other punk did it. Right. We should be we should be vigilantes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We we got at least the. <laughs> We know we know to get a second gun and maybe a second car. So yeah, so the so so the cops are starting to zero in. They they realize the vigilante's back, and then we also have Karen uh, confronting Tim Russ, the 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 heavy. What what I love is the dichotomy about this. So Karen, the morning mother, is going to take on drugs. The editor says, "Don't bother. She's going to do it anyway." She's in the arcade back to the scene of the crime essentially right where her daughter got the drugs she's looking for information very cool and smooth about it i gotta say she's like you know what i don't need to say much because money talks but she's kind of down and dirty in the thick of it meanwhile you got charles bronson sipping brandy or whatever the hell in a millionaire's home just kind of living just talking all high and mighty like they're gonna do something meanwhile the girlfriend she could have got stabbed that night he could have been going to a second funeral following another limo that he's not allowed to ride in. Well, what uh, and what happens around this time, too, in the movie is... So the cops have a list of, the, of Bronson's, uh, Bronson's type of car and the last three numbers. And Bron- so Bronson's name is on a list. I think it was like 12 or 13 people. A, a shocking number of blue tornadoes with like the last three digits, 226. Yes. <laughs> and they show up at Bronson's work and question him, and Bronson does a horrible job throwing them off the scent. Mr. Curtin? Yes. I'm Sergeant Ryder. This is my partner, Sergeant Ozaki. How can I help you? Uh, we're talking to a number of people in this area as part of a routine investigation. I was wondering if you could tell us where you were last Tuesday evening, between the hours of 7 and 9. Tuesday, I leave here about 6. And with the traffic and everything, we got home about 6.45. So you were at home that night? As far as I remember, yes. Can someone confirm that? I was alone. I see. Do you own a gun, Mr. Kersey? Nope. Are you married? Nope. Divorced? My wife and daughter are dead. I'm very sorry. Car accident? Nope. Well, that's about it. Sorry to have bothered you. Oh, yeah. He acts, he acts 
yeah, that is the worst way you could have acted with the police. I would. It's like this guy. Something's happening with this guy. He he did the worst possible job I've ever seen trying to convince somebody that you did not kill this guy. Absolutely, absolutely, because he's he's way too nonchalant. Yeah. Like, if the police come to see you, you give them your full attention. Yes. And, and then you get back to whatever you were doing. Like, well, if, if, if a police officer showed at my door right now, I wouldn't keep podcasting with you while trying to, while answering his questions. You know what I mean? Like, I would have to, I'll be right back, Scott. You know, or what am I going to do? Start doing the dishes while he's grilling me on stuff? No. <laughs> give the police your full attention. Or you act indignant. I. What do you mean? I didn't. No, no, there's no way I was. You, you, you uh, maybe may, don't play it up that much, but, uh, but yeah, he was. Uh, I wasn't there. I was at home alone. Yeah, but but, but he's. It's it's the way he was doing it. Like it's one thing if he says that answer, but it's just he's flipping through pages. He's looking at drawings. He's taking his glasses off and on. Like he just he 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 turns his back to the cops. He's not exactly. Even, yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, you know, there's there's what you say and how you say it, but it was way too easy breezy. Like, uh, I'm going to throw him off by pretending I don't give a shit. It's like, <laughs> no, no, you got to pretend to at least give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was that was hilarious, too. It was just like uh, I've been grilled before. The cops always think I'm the vigilante. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now we cut to there's a big party at one of one of the drug kingpins, uh, Ed Zachariah. Yeah, he's uh, so it's Ed Zachariah and uh, what is and then there's another Ed Zachariah is the head guy at one one yeah one drug dealer and then it's the something brothers. What is it? Yeah, I, I, I gotta look that one up. I the, Ra- the Romero brothers. So the Romero it's Ed, brothers. Yeah. It's Ed Zachariah and the Romero brothers. So. What Bronson is going to do is he's trying to pit them against each other. That's is going to be his plan. So he somehow got hired as a waiter at Ed Zachariah's house. He goes off and he bugs the phones. While he's bugging a phone, Ed Zachariah is meeting, is actually meeting with the Romero brothers. So it's, it's Ed Zachariah and the Romero brothers and a couple of henchmen all in a room. And they bring this guy in. Long story short, Ed Zachariah stabs this guy because this guy's been skimming. Well, and, and also there was the phone call, too, where Zacharias just found out that his his drug dealer got killed. Yes. The, isn't that, it's at the party, isn't it? Like he gets the he's talking to the to the brothers, to the Romero's. He get he takes the phone call, doesn't even say excuse me, he just walks off to answer the phone call, finds out that Buddy died and which Again, that goes to your point. It's like, hang on, Nathan White knew within an hour that in the meantime, we've seen Paul Kersey uh, go home, go home, then meet with Nathan, then go to the funeral, Hey! then go back to see Nathan, then go to this party, and now Zacharias finds out his employee is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's why he calls in the Romeros, right? Because he thinks that they might have done it. Because Ed Zachariah and there were the, the Romero brothers, the older one, the younger one is a hothead who mm. wants to take out Zachariah. But Ed Zachariah and the older brother are like, we've had, we got peace. Everybody's doing well. Let's not, let's not screw this up. 
And that's why I add Zachariah. It's like, yeah, we're doing well. Let's not screw this up. Ed Zachariah stabs the guy who's skimming from him. And Charles Bronson, who was hiding in the bathroom, once again makes some noise at the most inopportune time. <laughs> and they bust in, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just using the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> now this one, I, I got to say, probably a decent alibi. You look at the guy, he's... You know, of a certain age, probably does have to use the washroom a lot. You could, you know, but you, you're you're having this clandestine meeting. Don't you check the can? That's like that's like you pull someone into a public bathroom. You don't look under the stall. That's always the go-to move, right? You got to make sure you're alone before you talk about secret killings and stuff, or maybe murdering a guy right then and there. You got it. That that's on Zacharias. He didn't check the can before yeah. he stabbed the guy. Zachariah, you know, tells Bronson, it's like, hey, if you don't say anything, you know, I'll make it worth your while. And why don't you help my guy carry this body out? And while all this is happening, Ed Zachariah gives his guy the the nod, the head nod. Once we're out of the house, take care of take care of Bronson as well. And Bronson actually catches this, so he knows. Not that he wouldn't think this was going to happen, but now he yeah, knows really. it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, when they get out to the garage, he, clobber, he clobbers the guy with a tire iron. And slams his head in the trunk. That's right. And then just and then with a nice loud clang, throws the tire iron away. And then just leaves. And just runs away. Yeah. yeah. Which I find kind of weird. I, I would think that his move would be to come out of the bathroom guns a-blazing. He's got three targets plus the heavies. Now, there's no one else there. He knows this because he's peeked his head out like a dozen times during the conversation. You would think it's like this is it. He can, well, he can I don't it. think he he doesn't have his gun. With, he probably didn't have a gun with him because he was probably frisked before. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I think the whole deal is not just to get that guy's. He wants to cripple them before he takes them out. That and I guess he didn't want them to take each other out, right? So it doesn't. It just. It looks like a drug war. Yeah, and he doesn't. He wants to cripple it so bad that somebody just can't step in and, and just keep running it. So that's the main thing too. And this movie is a, a, of course it's a bridge between three and four, uh, between three and five. Death Wish four, but we see Bronson being a little more clever with this next one. He's going after Ed Zachariah's heavies, and they're all in a restaurant. And he pretends, yeah. pretends to be a, he pretends to be a wine salesman. And one of the wine bottles is a bomb. And we also get another example of heavies in, in Death Wish movies going on to do better. Danny yes, Trejo. With young Danny Trejo. With one of the worst toupee wigs I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it had toupee to be its own credit. Yeah. Well, he has hair, so it, must, it had to be a wig. Bronson takes this bottle of wine, which is a bomb. And he sets it on the table, and in essence, just blows up, you know, blows up his, uh, blows up Ed Zachariah's three three main heavies. Well, what, what I what I love about this, and it, I, I I was like, okay, um, <laughs> he's got a case of four bottles of wine. So he gets there, he open he opens it up, and shows the first of all the bartender. He doesn't show him all four bottles. He just pulls out a bottle and pours a glass, lets him taste it, and then 
brings the sample over to the to the heavies sitting at, at their own private table, right? Restaurants empty of uh, anyone else, so it's a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. But all I can think of is you you brought in four bottles. The one with the bomb actually has wine in it too. He's pouring from the bomb. He's he's got he actually fit wine and a bomb in the one bottle. He had three other bottles that could have been bombs with one bottle of wine, but no, he's got it. He's doing it all in one. What, what, what were the other three? Four? Well, I think that to me, that's kind of clever because nobody's going to, if you're pouring wine out of that, nobody's going to suspect that it's a bomb. At least I wouldn't. It was, I, well, would I, think. I, I, I mean, it, it, yeah, in a way it's clever, but at the same time, like in any other movie, there'd be one real bottle that he's pouring from and the other three would be the explosives, right? Cause you could get a more explosive, bigger, right. bigger yes. boom, but nope. <laughs> so I can't decide if it's clever or, or a waste. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure, <laughs> but you're right. He poured, yeah. Pouring from that bottle. You would never expect that there's a timer and all this, all these mechanisms underneath. Like, it, yeah, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. Well, now he goes after the Romero brothers. He goes after the Romero's brothers' top drug distributor, who mm-hmm. works out of a video store. Now, if that's not if that's not '80s, and this was something small. When Bronson goes into the video store, there is a cutout of Leatherface from oh, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, which is a canon movie, and this is a canon movie. So they're promoting other movies in this movie. Uh, did, we, did we see any Superman posters? Because Golan Globus? No Superman 4. He goes into the video store and he has, what would you call Not Would you call that an Uzi? Yeah, it looked or, like an Uzi. It looked yeah. like an Uzi with a silencer on it. What do you want? You. Hey, I didn't do nothing. No, you just sell drugs to children. Oh, come on, it's a business, man. I'm only a supplier, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't make the kids use drugs. It's their choice. You don't do it, someone else will? That's right. No, that's exactly right. How many? How many what? How many children have you killed with this shit? Just keep that in mind. An Uzi with a silencer on it. And he blows everybody away and he gets out. Not so clever, this one. Not so clever. This one is more, like, pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. After the whole wine bottle, maybe he just got tired. Like, uh, the setup's too much. I'll just shoot him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But now he goes after, what is it, Frank Boggs. And this is the Romero Brothers' top hitman. Sorry, before we get to that... So we have the killings at the video store, and the cops show up again, obviously. Now, they've been tracking each of the, you know, they've been showing up to the scene, and it's the same two detectives. Uh, so the two detectives believe it's the vigilante that because of, of the ballistics from, you know, the, the drug dealer shooting. But their lieutenant somehow, I don't know why, thinks that's not really, so hang on. A drug dealer is shot, then... More drug dealers are killed. No, no, two different cases. What drug dealer A is not related to drug dealers B and C being killed? What? How? How is it not related? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, the, no, 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 no. Stick on this drug dealer being blown up and these guys being shot. Your other drug dealer shooting can't be related. Well, we have the. T- this is the cop trope, where the head cop is stupid. Yes. But the uh, but the cop on his trail is smart. Yeah. Or the cops on the trail are smart, and we we'll find out something later about the other cops. Yeah, this is the dumb cop trope. I, I enjoy this movie, but there are a ton of tro- a ton of tropes in this movie. Hey! Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, some of them probably came come from this movie. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so now we go to yeah Boggs. He's uh, the the main hitman for which one again? That was Zacharias for the for the Romero brothers. Oh, he's a Romero. This, this is, so what Bronson is doing? He's already taken. He's taken. Wow, that's a great word. That, that, that's nice English. That's that's, a, that's the sequel to Taken. Yes, Tooken. Um, <laughs> he has already taken out the the hitman from Zachariah. Now they're taking out the main hitman from the Romero brothers. That's right. So Bronson is doing because he took out uh, Ed Zachariah's main pusher and his main heavies, and that's what he's done. Now he's doing that to the Romero brothers. He's taken out the main pusher, and now he's taking out his main heavy. And this guy lives in a apartment and. The cops are staking out his apartment. So the two cops who are assigned to this are, st- are staking out Frank Boggs. So they're in the parking lot of his apartment. And Frank Boggs and his girlfriend are going out to the opera, I believe it was. Yeah. Shut up. I like the opera. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all we get for explanation. This is another, this is actually kind of clever where we have the, uh, the ruthless hitman enjoying opera well maybe i mean well we get that yeah well yeah that is that is a trope you have the the the, um well-refined villain yes right as as opposed to your your dirty street thug you have the well-refined he's wearing a a lovely tuxedo he's he's all cleaned up and ready to go to opera and he's cultured and he has a nice apartment and i don't know where he got this lady from yeah he uh yeah he's yet he swears like a sailor so there's a both there's both worlds in there yeah yeah, yeah. You, you, like there's a rich tapestry to this guy's backstory like i came from the streets and now i've elevated myself to be a refined gentleman which is kind of refreshing he's not just a blank he's not just i'm a i'm a hitman there's a little bit something to him which, right and that's always nice to, nice to see any kind of character development and, yeah that, that, there's kind of a short form there that, that you know you can pick up on really quickly you don't need to delve into like we don't need him to monologue to tell us Right, you, we know he's rough and tumble, but we know you know he likes the finer things in life. I mean, that's that's a you know a second dimension to the character. And I gotta say, this relationship he has with his lady love, I love these two. I don't know what it, this the the way they bicker and but they still you know like at the end of it they laugh like I, their relationship. I'm like, why can't I have this as the movie? I want Frank. I want the Frank Boggs and his lady. I wanted that to be the whole preamble because those two are awesome. They are, and it's another aspect of his character. He never lays a hand on her. And in other movies, I could see this character smacking her around. When I, right. I, I, mean, could, I, I could see this kind of character doing that, and he never does that. They bicker back and forth. It's sort of fun bickering, but yeah, he never... pisses him off. He, she pisses him off, but he never strikes her. That's right, yeah. And this is a guy who is prone to violence. That's his stock and trade. In any lesser movie, he would have. I mean, especially like we're talking the 80s and before, that was 
more prevalent in movies and you know uh, where where that would just happen and uh yeah but no he's again this is the refined gentleman part of him yes you know what i mean like that's that's elevated himself above where he came from in, in my mind anyway i've got a i, I got the whole frank boggs backstory going <laughs> i want a frank boggs prequel <laughs> Well, they leave the apartment to go down, and Bronson is hiding in the stairwell. And I just find it hard to believe there's got to be security at this building. There has to be security at this yeah, building. Yeah, it's really nice. I, I find it hard to believe that Bronson was able to sneak in and hide in the stairwell. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand how he gets in. And also, I don't understand what he's doing at the apartment, because so far it's just been a murder spree. So why does he need to tap Boggs' phone? Nathan White told him to. Nathan said, if you tap his phone, we can probably get some useful information. So he was given that uh, by the God, by the millionaire. He actually told him to go tap his phone. Okay, so that was just the mission. But he didn't do that to uh, the other guys. He just blew them to smithereens. So Yeah, because he probably could have just... Because he tapped Ed Zachariah's phone. He that, probably, that I, I get that. That That's I get. Smart. He probably, yeah. you're, and you're right. He, if he would have just tapped the, um, the Romero brothers' phone yeah. instead of this guy's phone... That probably would have been, you're eliminating a step here. <laughs> yeah, but um, in true movie fashion, he, what is it, he forgot the tickets? Yeah. Yeah, so in all their bickering and moonlight bantering, uh, moonlighting bantering? <laughs> I get I, I got to go with an 80s reference here, so. <laughs> Some walk by night. <laughs> <laughs> So he goes back upstairs. So all of this is kind of preamble to them, to a confrontation then. And this this fight scene, I got to say, is this is where they know they're dealing with an older gentleman at this point. It's not your, you know, your Bruce Lee, Jet Lee, you know, uh, early Chuck Norris martial arts classic by any means. Well, the, I love that line. What are you doing in my apartment? I'm making a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy and, and Frank is no small dude. Like, in, no, no, he's a uh, Bronson's around five nine. Yeah, he's not the biggest guy. Yeah, no, and this guy I would say is well over six feet. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he played football in high school, if nothing else. Now I agree that it's a fight with the man. In, from what Bronson did, which wasn't a stunt double, I thought he did a pretty good job of being a sixty-six-year-old man. Well, yeah. if it were, yeah, not for not being the stunt double, he did great. I mean, yeah. they could have easily just put a wig on a younger guy and then have him get thrown around the room and doing some kung fu or whatever. Because th that's the thing this this guy is not a martial artist, right? No, like, there's, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember any any training scenes or anything like that where where you have an architect taking a class at the Y or something like that to learn karate. And I respect that. I nothing bothers me more in a movie. It's a lawyer knows karate. Well, I, we, it, this is never set up. I'm not saying that he can't know karate, but it's never set up in the movie, and then all of a sudden he or she are able to do karate. So, yeah. Well, that's information the audience needed to know. Bronson, Bronson's just a, a, a knuckler, a, you know, a street fighter. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate the fact that he's not using karate. I appreciate that you know, he's doing street fighting, kicking him when he's down, hitting him from behind. The, He's, he's using the what, he used the environment right. He hits, yes. hits him with a good old fashioned wrestling chair shot. Yeah, and then puts him into a tube TV. 
But uh, during the fight, Bronson throws him off the balcony, and they're, what, 14, 15 stories? No, 12 stories up. It was 12. Yeah. So they're 12 stories up. Yeah. So this guy falls 12 stories onto the limo where his girlfriend is waiting for him. That's another trope, right? The person waiting outside, the dead body falls right in front of them. Uh, and it's uh, and the other trope is, yeah. Uh, I wish he dropped dead. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's that one is as old as time. You know. <laughs> yeah. He's such a jerk. I wish he dropped dead. Christ. <laughs> yeah, I wish he just dropped dead. But again, I love those two. I had to stop and give credit because, again, for the few moments that they have together, she is giving it 100%. This lady was just, uh, yeah. and She's not taking any shit from him. She's not taking any shit from this guy, even though he's a huge he's a dude. dude. And he's, yeah. And he's, and he's a hitman. She's not taking any shit from him. She does not care, yeah. <laughs> now the cops bring into action. Sort of. Sort of. One of the cops goes upstairs to check, and one of the cops stays down, and he goes, check to see if anybody suspicious leaves. Yeah, so Detective Phil Nozaki is the one who spots, uh, again, the tornado. <laughs> okay, so this is what I'm talking about. Okay, I, was, I, I brought this up earlier. Okay, earlier you have to use your own car, but now you're, you've got a millionaire behind. Buy another car. Drive something that doesn't belong to you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Go to a go to a wrecking yard, grab the cheapest piece of shit you can find that still runs, slap some fake plates on it, away you go. Well, no, you got a millionaire backing you. you have him buy you a decent car. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can buy used car cash and from from someone who's selling one in their front yard. I mean, absolutely. Now this cop sees Bronson leave, and when his partner comes down, his partner says, "Did you see anybody?" And uh, uh, this uh, Phil Nuzaki says no. Yeah. So now we know that something's up with uh, with this cop. Well, and what what got me, which was actually kind of nice, is I didn't really see what was coming. I don't know if you want to save that for after, but I guess if you've seen the movie, you've seen the movie, and you're listening to this podcast. I didn't. I, I wasn't quite sure if he was dirty or not, because a part of me. Was was wondering if this was going to be like the guy, the cop that helps out, you know that trope? Yeah, right. The, the, so he's not saying he doesn't want to rat him out because he wants to help him or something. That's a that's a cool view because I've seen that I saw this movie in the theaters when it oh, came yeah. out. Oh okay. I know what's happen. I know what's going to happen with the cop. So every time I rewatch it, it's not a surprise for me. But well, yes, this is my can, first viewing, right? So yes, your first viewing. So that it was nice to see it through fresh eyes, and that is actually a very good uh, a very good take on what could have happened. Now, granted, that's after years of of watching other movies. Had I seen it back now, I was I wasn't old enough to see this movie back in '87. But had I say rented it in the '90s when I was old enough and not had the experience. I maybe I might have actually caught it right away and be like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's weird that possibly that since then I've been tainted by other movies and like and maybe a glimmer of hope that no, he's not bad. <laughs> he wants to help Charlie. When this movie came out, I was seventeen, so this was probably one of the first rated R movies that I saw in a theater. 
Oh, well, that's cool. The next scene, they meet in a movie theater. The millionaire Nathan White tells them that Ed Zachariah runs a fish cannery, and the back of the fish cannery is where they refine drugs. Fine. First of all, how dare you? You're talking throughout the movie. That's just fucking rude. (laughs) But the scene, the whole movie is with Nathan White's voiceover. We, we hear his voice all through, you know, if you want to find the Romero brothers, they could be at this restaurant at this time, blah, blah, blah. But this scene, we see Charles Bronson, we see him buy a ticket, we see him walk through the lobby, we see him sit down. It's like, this was like three or four minutes of, this could have been a 20-second voiceover. I don't know why this scene is in the movie. And You're right, they, absolutely. They could have done just the whole voiceover as he's going to the cannery. Yes, as he's driving up to the cannery, Ed Zachariah owns a cannery, and blah 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 blah. Because yeah, because you follow Bronson as he's going to punch in for work. Like, why did we need the theater scene when they could have just had him do the voiceover up until he gets discovered? Exactly. And, oh, and I love, I love the voiceover for the cannery. He goes, the the front of the cannery is a real cannery. That'll be easy to get into. The back of the cannery is where he does drugs. That'll be a little more difficult to get into. It's not difficult to get into. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. He just walks back there. <laughs> uh, there's a, another uh, shout-out here. Uh, did you recognize the cannery lab foreman, the guy that actually caught, catches him? I didn't. It's uh, Mitch Pileggi, who uh, some people would know. Uh, I'll work backwards here. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, he played a Nazi drug dealer there. But also, more famously, he was on the X-Files as director Skinner. Hey! Okay, well, I've never seen an episode of X-Files. But again, Charles Bronson movie, better things. Better things. Yeah, because, I mean, that that movie, that that show was quite, you know, uh, was like a lot of people loved it, and he was on for quite a while. Like, not just a cameo, he was a regular on, on a really popular show. Charles Bronson movie. There you go. I couldn't believe it. All these cameos. I'm like, oh, not yeah. cameos, but it's like back before they were famous kind of roles. So that was great. Yeah. Well, so Charles Bronson makes it to the back. He starts blowing people away with an Uzi, which brings alarm. Now, earlier we saw him with a. Why didn't you bring the silencer this time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, he ends up blowing it up. I'm, But. He could have blown everybody away with the Uzi with a silencer, set the bomb, and then been able to get back up front before the bomb went off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just get get in that truck and go before anyone's the wiser. Yes, but what happens is he starts blowing people away, an alarm sounds, people start rushing him, and honestly, there is no way he gets out of this. No way. He is surrounded by hundreds of people, He's he's out of ammunition. Bring a silencer and bring an extra clip. Uh, <laughs> no, no kidding. And the, uh, I, I don't I didn't realize uh, before watching this movie that there was something missing in my life, and that was Charles Bronson versus the Fishmonger Gang. Yeah, but we get it here in Spades. And what what amazes me about these about this gang because we get the voiceover like you said, legitimate business in the front party in the back it's the mullet of the drug trade yes and even comments and saying the legitimate business up at the front actually makes money for the gang like it's their 
legit front, you know, uh, they're making money making uh, cat and dog food. My guess is not all of the employees were hired as goons. That there's actually people who are really just they're, they're they know fish, they know the machinery. They're it's their nine to five, right? The alarm goes off. What did Brenda from HR include that in the in the introductory packet when you got hired? That by the way, in case of intrusion, you will have to rush a gunman. Because while the once again it's it's somebody really on top of their job. The minute the explosion, there's an announcement saying a thousand bucks to whoever gets the son of a bitch. What's who? What son of what a bitch? What son of a bitch? Yeah, you don't know who it yeah. is. <laughs> what? Like it's like they even say like the new guy, you know, <laughs> or nothing. Like we don't know who it is. So you could have had two guys just fighting, thinking you're the son of a bitch. No, you're the son of a bitch. No, you're the son of a bitch. <laughs> I wanted that scene actually. That would have <laughs> that would have made me laugh. But yeah, just this idea that these regular Joe schmoes really. All of a sudden, become killers for a thousand bucks. Okay, and putting it like that, maybe Charles Bronson does get out, but it's very, very slim that that, that well, amount of people. You're right; it's a numbers game, and they do the classic. Well, let's line up one at a time. Yeah, and and he's just clubbing people now with his Uzi. Yeah, <laughs> and like out of this, the, the, the how many employees we saw at the big when he entered? It's maybe what. Half dozen, ten guys, maybe that he actually maybe. comes face to face with. Maybe, yeah. But there's still a lot. You put any fighter with ten other people. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, take your best fighter. You get ten grown adults surrounding them. It's going to be tough to get out of. You're like, and yet no one lays a hand on him. Not no. one. And then he luckily, doesn't even. Yeah, he doesn't even get knocked down. He doesn't get touched. And. And what was his escape plan? He grabbed a truck and drove out through. A, he drove through a wall. He he grabbed he, a truck that he didn't know was there. He didn't plant the truck. He didn't come in in the truck. No. So, so his only two moves are: I'll bring my own car, or I just won't have one. Yeah. <laughs> like <there's, laughs> but I couldn't believe the. Bronson versus the fishmongers. I didn't know that was missing from my life, and I'm glad I'm better for having seen it though, because it was it was hilarious seeing him one at a time fight off these fishmongers. It was it was pretty good. <laughs> well, now we cut to the scene where the cop talks to Ed Zachariah, and we find out the cop is dirty. He's yeah. working for Ed Zachariah. Zaki's dirty. Zaki's dirty, and Zachariah tells him to kill Bronson. Actually, no, he tells him to. Find out who he's working for and then kill him. That's right. And at this point in my notes, I have uh, Charles Bronson's girlfriend has disappeared. We have not seen her for, what, 45 minutes? She's busy fighting the war on drugs by herself, but we yeah. don't know. We don't know what she's doing. You're right. It's been, I did note that, that like, and, and we, and we're going to keep going for another little while before we see yes, her again. Yes, we are. You could honestly forget she's in the movie at this point. Yeah, I, yeah. To be honest, I mean, the little girl, the, the young lady that dies at the beginning, could have easily been like his niece, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, the, I know she's the trigger point for the whole adventure, but you really didn't need the whole love interest story be, and have her have her own subplot if you're going to do this to her because it's it's nothing. It goes nowhere. No. Yeah. I mean, well, there's when we get to the end, there's a reason, but yeah. But yeah. We, once we get there. 
So Phil Nozaki confronts Bronson at his work. You know, he's questioning Bronson. And Bronson is sitting, he's sitting behind a drafting board. And you can only, you can, you can see from the, from the, basically from the, his bottom lip up. So the rest of his body. Now, if you're this cop and you know you're dealing with a vigil, you know, stand up. Let me see your hands. None of that. Yeah. And you mean, you're presenting yourself as a police officer. You could do that, right? You could, yeah, can you just stand up, please? Let me see your hands. Okay, great. I need to talk to you. He gives himself up. I mean, he doesn't even try. He doesn't play the cop card. He's like, no. nah, he tips. It's like, nope, I'm working for Zachariah. I want to know who you're working for. Yeah, and then I'm going to kill you. Like, he all but says that. <laughs> well, yeah, he all but says, he says, and if you tell me, I'll let you walk out of here. Nobody, yeah, nobody knows that. <laughs> Does that. Really? Oh, okay. Well, in that case, here's his address. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> yeah, so, but he doesn't give up Nathan. He actually blows the cop away because he had a gun and he shoots him through the drafting board. What can I do for you? I just wanted to drop by and see how you're doing. Since we didn't have a chance to say hello the other night at Frank Boggs' place. You've made a lot of people unhappy, Mr. Kersey. Especially Ed Zacharias. He asked me to deliver his message of distress personally. You work for Ed Zacharias? Being a cop's too dangerous. I want to take an early retirement and he pays well. Now, I don't have to kill you. I just want to know who you are working for. I know it's not the Ramirez. Who is it? I don't work for anybody. This is my work. Don't play games with me. I can make this scene really painful. Can walk out of here. All I need is a name. I don't have a name. It can be very, very nasty if I want to be. So can I. Yeah, so now he's got a drafting board with a hole in it. He's got blood on his carpet. And one one heck of a meeting the, the next working day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was an incident here. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Uh, don't ask questions about this bullet-sized hole in my table. Just get me a new one. Don't mind the blood on the carpet. It's uh, it's mine. Yeah, it's mine. Yes. I, I cut myself shaving. Well, so anyway, Bronson, he dumps the cop's body and his partner, well, his the cops find the the cop's body the next day and his partner's told and his partner act his partner actually takes it really really hard yeah like like harder than the mom took the daughter's death so he yeah he this is it he's out for blood now you killed my partner right which in any other movie it starts the cop on his own story right but we're like an hour and a half into this movie right now. no I'm, so, yeah, I'm just saying like they they put in another movie in this movie to you know for for the <laughs> which normally kicks off a whole different movie but but the, but the girlfriend the no idea where finds, she is <laughs> no, no idea where the girlfriend is but the cop's partner he found the list he found the list with paul kersey's name circled 
And so the cop is pretty much 100% sure that Paul Kersey is the vigilante. Mm -hmm. So he ambushes him at his house. Later. And the thing I liked about that is he references Death Wish 1 and Death Wish 2. He goes, his wife, his wife and family were mugged in 1974 and 1982. So he references the movies, and he actually references the correct years. Wait, the first one came out in 1974? Yeah. That's the year I was born. Yeah, that's <laughs> when the first one came out. But then we find out, uh, through the phone taps, Bronson finds out that there's going to be a meeting between Ed Zachariah and the Romero brothers in this old abandoned oil and if you see any posters of this movie this is the gun that he's using in that in the poster it's this high-powered rifle once again with a silencer on it and both the both the drug uh gangs show up and bronson starts shooting at them and everybody so it just turns into a bloodbath everybody's shooting everybody else well yeah and I, what i like about this is bronson kicks it off he shoots one guy and tensions are already high. He waits. He picks his spot, right? He waits for the right moment. They start yelling at each other. He shoots somebody. Now that's it. It's it's on. And that that's what what's kind of great about this movie is for an action movie. Again, dealing with an uh, not to be ageist, but I mean, dealing with a, a gentleman who can't do what he used to do. I mean, that's just how age works. The idea that he has to be more clever. Rather than, like, a, a, another action star might have rushed right down there and started trying to punch and kick everybody himself. Bronson, you know, his character has to be clever rather than than just physically adept. I mean, he's going to know how to shoot that gun, but at the same time, like, this idea of, like, let, letting them do all the work, I actually really like that. I thought that was great. No, yeah, the, the movies, he gets more and more clever as the movie series goes along. Because he's getting older and older, and he has to. Yeah, I agree. He's doing things his way, the way he has to do it at his age. Yeah, so it's kind of like he's him and the character are kind of aging in, in, in like a well-defined fashion, right? It's not some of these aging action stars that still try and go and do the same old punches and kicks, and they can't quite make do them anymore. And Are you talking you know, like, like Steven Seagal? Well, I mean, Akito, you know, he's still amazing at that. But there are certain things that, yeah, like he's not high kicking anymore, I don't think. Uh, although I haven't seen any of his movies lately. But, you know, there just comes a point where that style that you're known for, it gets harder and harder to accomplish, right? So you have to adapt and change. And, you know, so I do like the idea that his character is kind of adapting with his own age. No joke. No joke there. That was just a straight up compliment. <laughs> And Bronson's got, and so everybody blows, uh, everybody gets blown away except for Ed Zachariah. He's the last one left. And Bronson's got this high powered rifle. You know, Ed Zachariah is like, Who are you? And he, you know, he pulls out a picture of his girlfriend's daughter. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't even know her. Well, I do. And then he, he blows it. <laughs> I, I, I like that scene. Bronson got, you know, right before he killed them, got to let him know who was the who was the one doing it and why. Yeah, yeah. So, right, that's the, that's a very classic. Like, you, this guy's been messing with your whole life, and just before he kills you, you you get to actually see it, see who it is. Mm -hmm. And, but I like the idea that he's got this high powered rifle, 
that he, you know, he's however many feet yards away, uh, and hitting hitting targets, right? And right. and like killing them. Point blank range, he hits Zacharias right in the chest, and he still has the ah uh, 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 like really. Who are you? I'm the guy that set you up. Why? I don't even know the girl. I do. <laughs> Technically, that gun should have blown him apart. It's, well, it, I don't think it would have the, the, enough left in him to go... Ah, ah, oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> this protracted death scene. Like that. Maybe if he had his little pistola there, yeah, you know? <laughs> His little purse gun, but no, not this thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, both gangs, both gangs are gone, and we cut to a scene where the cop is talking to his lieutenant. He's like, "I want Kersey," and once again, the stupid lieutenant's like, "Look, Kersey's clean. Don't bother him anymore." And and who cares? It's just a, a bad guys killing bad guys. He, like he wants to thank Kersey if it's actually him. Yeah. Save the department a lot of paperwork. You're a lot of time, a lot of money. Nathan White. Wants to meet Bronson one last time. Uh, no, he... Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I got mixed up there for a second. Yeah, he wants to meet him one last time. So Bronson pulls up in front of this limo, and the limo driver is standing there, and Bronson's like, where's where's Nathan White? I'm supposed to take you to him. Uh, I thought he was supposed to meet me here. Well, he wants me to take you to him. Bronson gets in the back of the limo, and he sees the limo driver walk away and get in a car. Hey! Is another one of those. <laughs> a couple of them, yeah. <laughs> hey! His his reaction the minute that the minute he starts walking away, you know something's wrong. Oh, it takes him like it, it takes him like a minute to realize. Okay, there's no door handles. I've got to get out of here. It takes him a minute, and watching the limo driver get into another car and drive away. Before he stops going, hey, and then actually tries to get out of the car. This and bomb takes his, so long. This, yes, like, this bomb takes so long. And um, this is this is like, this is inept bad guy 101. Set the trap. Good guy falls to the trap. I'm going to leave before the trap is sprung in all confidence that everything's going to go smoothly. I'm not going to check on it. I'm not going to get visual confirmation. <laughs> like... The least he could have done was stop at the other car and just kind of turn and wa- wait and see if the bomb goes off, if Kersey gets out before the bomb goes off. Nope, nope, I'm just, nope, everything's going to be fine. I just know it. Do not worry about it. Let's go get a sandwich. Bronson shoots out the back window, crawls out, and the, and the car explodes. <clears throat> see, if he had stuck around, he would have seen that. <laughs> he, would have, right. he would have known that he didn't, <laughs> that, he, that he failed. Well, he got, first of all, it was way too, if you're going to booby trap a car like that, can't you make the window, unbreakable window? That was way too easy. Just by not putting door handles on the doors, that was, it was still pretty That's pretty not bad. Easy. That's not bad. That's a good not first bad. step. Not bad. Not bad. a good I, first step, but, yeah. you know. Shorter timer. Shorter uh, timer. Bullet, bulletproof windows. Uh, thicker window. Yeah. Yeah, because they make limos with bulletproof windows. You can get they that. do. Yeah, back in the, they do. The, ever since the Pope Mobile, you know, back in the you know, you could get that. Don't worry about it. 
Well, Bronson takes off. Bronson's pissed. Oh, takes boy. off. And he goes to Nathan White's house and he forces his way in. And then he realized the guy who's Nathan White was not Nathan White. The real Nathan White was in was in Europe the whole last month. Dun, dun, so, so he was dealing with a phony this whole time. I kind of called that at the beginning. <laughs> My first instinct when I saw the Nathan White guy that we meet, I was like, oh, wait, let me guess. This guy wants the other two guys out so he can, con- can control the drug trade. I literally, I said that in my mind. I'm not, I'm not just saying it now. I honestly thought that. But to be honest, the dr- uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back here, the drug crusade that he goes on, I actually started to believe that Nathan White was just being a good guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, my initial thought was, no, no, he's also a bad guy. He won me over <laughs> throughout the movie. Yes, yeah, so Nathan White Nathan White is a drug dealer. And I don't even think do we get his real name at all in this movie? I, I don't I don't think so. I don't um, think so. Yeah. But once the the actor, I don't know the actor's John name. John P. Ryan. So he's John, only credited as Nathan White. Okay. So John P. Ryan. His acting between being the good guy nathan white and the bad guy nathan white it's a total change when he's the bad guy uh he's a, he's a totally different person uh, i like this the abrupt switch in his personality once we yeah. find out he's a bad guy hey yeah he's he's being himself now i call uh, in my notes i call him slap face yeah because he keeps slapping everybody in the face for some reason he's that he's that kind of bad guy he's very very hands-on, touchy-feely, slapping the hey, it's okay, man, it's all right, pal, you know. Because before we find out, we oh, we left something, before we find out that he's Nathan White, uh, he's not Nathan White, Charles Bronson, he confronts the real Nathan White, and he's driving home, and these couple of cops pull him over. Oh, yes, yes. And start to take him downtown, and these are fake cops. Bronson figures it out, and he starts, he starts kicking the grate, you know, the wire between the front and the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed to come out way too easy. Um, well, they are fake cops, right? So They are fake, fake cop cops. Car. They don't know all the regulations. and they, I guess they didn't have time to reinforce the grate. <laughs> well, he first becomes suspicious because they handcuff his hands in front. And I guess you don't do that as a cop. I guess uh, everybody... It's in the back, isn't it? Yes. And then he... he he realizes that they're not going downtown. He asks a couple of fake questions. and But the thing with that is, so he starts kicking the grate, and the cops lose control, and they they drive up over this car. But you can clearly see the ramp. Yes. Uh, you can clearly see the ramp that the car hits and flips over. It's the Dukes of Hazard stunt. Yeah. The classic. Because... Uh... They wouldn't flip over a parked car. They would just no. smash into it. Like you <laughs> would just smash into it. Yeah, yeah. Like there isn't even a conveniently placed tow truck with the ramp that's face that, that's been lowered, you know, so they can jump or um, bale of hay, you know, a couple of bales of hay with wood stacked. Or sorry, I'm pulling from Dukes of Hazard here because they did, huh? <laughs> they had to come up with these creative way reasons why there was ramps all over Hazard County. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they so they roll the car, and that's how he makes his escape. And then we find out that Nathan White is a drug dealer, and Nathan White is like, we need an edge, and now Bronson's girlfriend comes back into the movie. <laughs> they 
they they kidnap her to use her against him. Where they take her, I, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of a more 80s place to take her for this final showdown than a roller rink. A roller rink. <laughs> Not only a roller rink, but a roller rink that is so successful, it has underground parking. It has its own parking garage. Under Underground parking. I mean... Like, not a parking lot beside, you know, like, a concrete was poured and molded for a roller rink. (laughs) I I can't believe it. It was, uh, it was great, though. I mean, it it really lent to that. It's, uh, again, something different, which I thought was kind of neat. Like, you didn't. Yeah. Well, roller rinks were all over the place in the 80s, but you didn't see a lot, you know, in this kind of movie. Yeah, they were using what was popular in the 80s. Which is where, I mean, I, which is where these movies would have taken place. It, if this was 1987. Yeah, would, if, you, if you wanted a, a, public, a loud public place, like a roller rink is very loud. You got music blaring, you got all the skates on the boards, you know, stuff like that. You got a lot of people talking, of course, yeah. While all this is happening, cop shows up at Bronson's place. He's going to, he's just going to kill Bronson. And Bronson says, well, your partner was dirty. You killed a cop, Kersey. Not just any cop. My partner. Now I'm going to kill you. Ooh, no. Your partner was dirty. Bullshit. He worked for Ed Zacharias. You're lying. They go back and forth. The phone rings. It's Nathan White saying that we got your girlfriend. Meet us here in the underground parking garage at the at the roller rink. We'll do an exchange, or and Charles Bronson ends up knocking out the cop. And after he knocks out the cop, like I said before, he moves this refrigerator, and there's this hidden panel, and there's all these weapons in it. Yeah. And I was and I was thinking, okay, did he buy those weapons with the money from the millionaire? But there was, but it was a hidden panel, so that was there before. I I I have to believe that those guns were there before. You know, he bought all the stuff that he needed from the millionaire guy. Uh, yeah, it has to be. There's no way that the, that during his crusade he stopped and had the millionaire pay for construction guys to come in, for carpenters to come in, and A, put his fridge on wheels and so he could move it easily, and B, build this, uh, an ammo rack into the wall with a, uh, uh, was there a lock on it? I don't think there was. I think it was just a, because it was behind the fridge, I don't think he locked it. I don't think so either. But still... Like, you're right. He had to have had this built into his house before. He goes to the roller rink. The roller rink. Actually, he goes to the underground garage attached to the roller rink. He does something that he does in Death Wish 5, which we've already done. He sends a forklift, a driverless forklift, so all the bad guys shoot at it and give him an advantage. And he does the same thing. He does the same thing here with his car. So he sends the car down the parking ramp, the parking garage, and everybody starts shooting at him. The funniest thing, though, this is a driverless car that makes a 90-degree turn <laughs> at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not only that, but they can kind of they can see him. Yeah. What's he doing? He's doing nothing. They didn't see him get out of the car? How was that? But they blow his car away. He's not in there. And then after they blow his car away, he, he pretty much blows everybody away but Nathan White. He now, escapes. Here's, here's a question. Okay. Uh, he pulls out the grenade launcher, which I love, um, and 
blows up the van that the bad like the bad guy's van that tries to hit him what if she was in the van yeah that's true he doesn't know he has no idea because they're going to the exchange the exchange is taking place in the underground parking lot so a van shows up what <laughs> you may have just blown blown, blown away your girlfriend <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. He has no idea. Uh, but the chase goes up into the roller rink. She's actually being held prisoner in the in the maintenance closet in the roller rink. Yeah. And from this point on, it's just Bronson blowing away people to get to get the Nathan White and his girlfriend. Yeah, he has to take on each goon individually, and yeah, he's got that big ass machine gun, and he's just yeah blow. Now, and another again. A highly populated area, lots of people. No stray bullets? Not one? Not one. Well, maybe there. we don't see it if there is. No, but I, I got to think. You know, he killed more than just those bad guys that night. Yeah. So he gets to Nathan. And then Nathan has his girlfriend. It's, I'll now, this kill is her. Outside, this is outside the rink now. They've this left the outside. rink. This is outside. I'll kill her, Kersey. I swear to God, I'll kill her. Yeah, so so Kersey's there. He's got the. They're at the classic tete a tete showdown. She decides to finally wake up mm-hmm. and help herself, right? And so she's she does the eye rake, classic wrestling maneuver. By the way, she's been watching WWF. Yeah, she rakes the eyes, so he's temporarily discombobulated. She runs away and gets shot in the back like a lot, mm-hmm. and then Kersey and again. I love I love this one. Not just a bullet. No, 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 no. That's not good enough for this bad guy. No. No way. And you can totally see the switch from the real actor to then the dummy standing there getting a grenade launcher and boom. Yeah, you can t- in all the explosions you can totally they didn't do a good job of covering up the dummy explosions in this movie. Because a lot of the explosions you can totally tell that there's a dummy and also uh frank boggs too yeah the dummy yeah. falling yeah that was dummy they, boggs, probably should, yeah. they shouldn't have stuck on they shouldn't have held on that shot too long while he was falling yeah <laughs> yeah dummy box yeah <laughs> so and then the cop shows up bronson gives another final speech you know do what you gotta do before he just walks away Hold it, Kersey. Put down the gun. Stop right there. God damn it, I'll shoot. Do whatever you have to. Okay. Now we've come to it. Okay. The part of the movie. Okay. That made this one of the craziest action movies I've ever seen. His lady love was shot in the back multiple times in front of his face. He tells the cop, you do what you got to do. And just like you said, he walks away. Are you kidding me? He walks away and any other movie he would have ran to her side or in his case at least a nice brisk stroll and cradled his lady love 
and reassuring her that he's avenged her and it's over and your daughter can rest now. You can some, both rest. You can, you can both, both rest, rest now. now. Yeah, the bad guys are gone. Something, some platitude in those final moments. He leaves her cold and dead in the street and just fucking walks away. That is the coldest thing I've ever seen an action movie hero do. Just unbelievable. Just <laughs> leaves. Fuck off. I'll get another 30-year-old girlfriend. Like, just... <laughs> Thirty-year-olds oh grow on trees, you know. Yeah, she was only thirty-two years my junior. I guess she was aging out. You know what I mean? Or yeah. Like just on. I couldn't believe it. It's the most incredulous thing. Uh, I mean, after because his whole crusade is about her and her daughter. He killed how many people on his way to this end for her? He encourages her to get involved. Yep. And when. All is said and done. Just, well, okay, he ain't getting a spot in that limo now. I can bet your bottom dollar he ain't. <laughs> Not if yeah. I have anything to do with that, say about it. Oh, my God, I couldn't believe it, Scott. What the hell is this ending? It's like, oh, shit, we're out of money and we're out of time. We got to wrap this up. Chuck, take a walk up those stairs. Cut, print, we're done. How is that? That, that, that couldn't have been satisfying for you. <laughs> Maybe no, in seven when you're as a, as a kid, sure he's a cool guy, he's doing the cool things. But now, all I can think of is that all all of his lady loves, it's just it just wears you down after they keep getting killed. Why? Well, um, yeah, was it was it in three we saw one get blown up? Wife dies in one. His girlfriend leaves him in two. His girlfriend gets blown away in three. His girlfriend gets blown away in four, and his girlfriend gets blown away in five. So four out of the five Death Wish movies, his wife or girlfriend gets killed and one leaves him. The smart one. I, so is he just so jaded at this point? So yeah, fuck it. Like, Maybe. I, I, yeah, that to me was just, uh, it was just a cold, cold way to end this story. I, uh, I just... And he, he throws the gun down with... With his prints on it. So even if this cop doesn't do anything, cops are going to show up. Cops are going to see that gun. They're going to yeah. they're going to lift prints up. It's maybe you know maybe he wants to get caught. That's uh, and if you're going to get caught, why don't you just like you said, just sit there and cradle your your beloved in your in your lap until the police come or whatever. The, there's one there's one way to 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 do an ending like this. There's only one way that I can think of where it works. And that's if the cop, seeing the dead drug dealer, et cetera, et cetera, if basically the cop lets him go and says, you better run. That happens in Death Wish 2. Right, but, the, but, that, but, the, but that's my point. The only way that he gets away with not going to his lady love is if the cop gives him a head start. Yeah. And so now he's, he doesn't have time to see her. And or whatever he, he's got, he's got to go because there's more okay. cops in the way, right? That's the only way it works in my brain. He's got to go. So here's what happens: couple of steps. I look over. I see my lady love. I look back, and then I run. So there's a, there's an, at least an acknowledgement. Thank you. Something like because he and we know he can run. Like we like he's he's kept in great shape. And we we saw him in three. Uh, I think it was three, or or was it five? I can't remember now because it's been a while. But, but one of them, like, he, there's a whole scene of just him out for his daily jog. 
So we know uh, Bronson, the actor, could pull this off. He wa- starts walking, looks at the lady love, and then starts jogging and running. Yeah. You know, to I've got it. You know, what I mean, like I can't stick around. I, I you know, but this idle stroll, do what you got to do, and not doesn't even acknowledge her. Like you said, doesn't even acknowledge her. It's just the coldest, coldest thing I've seen. I just, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not even a tear. I mean, just. <laughs> well, I don't think we're gonna get. Well, we're not gonna get a crying. But... We're, we're not gonna get a tear from Bronson. But there was a couple, like when he woke from the dream. There was a little more emotional scenes in this movie that I've seen in previous Charles Bronson's movies, where he's actually conveying how he's feeling uh, through his acting. Yeah, and and a bit more vulnerable, right? Like, he's, uh, yeah, I would say so. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's that when, when he's having the fight with Boggs, and Boggs has him down, and he's kicking him in the stomach, like you can, like he's, you know, he's vulnerable now. He's 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 in pain. He's being kicked, but this he just shuts right off. Yeah, I at the worst possible moment, like this was. I'm I'm going to blame the director on this because I think that's <laughs> bad direction to not have him even acknowledge. You know the, the the girlfriend. I, yeah, couldn't believe it. And that's it. That's Death Wish Four: The Crackdown. That's right. Now over on the Or Is It podcast, we, as I said, like to find the real story behind the story. Um, as an example, I think I'm gonna. Uh, I think we found one here uh, in just the last few minutes. Uh, you know, is this a story about a vengeance uh, against drug dealers, or is it a cautionary tale not to date action heroes? So uh, that was mine. My mine, or is it? Is if you're in your thirties, ladies, stay away from Charles Bronson, <laughs> yeah. which is probably easy now because he's dead. But not, honestly, ladies, if you're in your thirties, stay away from a sixty-year-old action star. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Now I, I have. Uh, do you have any others? If you're a struggling actor, become a punk and let Charles Bronson blow you away, and you will become, and that will elevate your career a lot quicker. So for today, I guess you need to find whoever the new Charles Bronson is and get cast as a thug in in, in their movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, Any more? I that's it for me. Okay, I've got uh, two of them uh, that I actually wrote before we talked about how horrible it is to be Charles Bronson's girlfriend in these movies. Um, uh, or is it a movie promoting drugs? Question mark. The, again, I'm going back to the, it's a, the new way of life says the editor, like, don't worry about drugs. Go ahead. It's like, that. like it was this weird kind of like pro drug message that it's just subtly just dropped right there. And you even have the drug dealers giving their own defense. Like, well, I didn't, tell her to take the drugs i just sold them to her it was her decision as to whether or not that you know what i mean like this kind of weird pro drug angle <laughs> like very very odd um or thanks to the uh the whole nathan white uh and i wrote this or is it kind of early on in my notes the whole nathan white and paul kersey relationship uh i called it uh, or is it avengers age of retirement Scott, thank you so much for uh, having me on your podcast. How do you normally close? Mark, thank you for having me on your podcast. And I close, I go, well, thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. You can always follow me on my website, scottyblanco.com. And you can also support this podcast by going to my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. 
and with my special guest, uh, Mean Mark, visit their website with the Canadian Movie Crew. www.canadianmoviecrew.com. Our podcast can also be found in uh, Stitcher and iTunes. I will leave a link to their podcast in the description of my podcast. Uh, Yep, and likewise, we'll do the same on our website. Or at least I'll ask Derek, too, and see if he can do that for me. (laughs) All right, well, thanks again, Scott. Uh, yeah, and uh, keep keep listening, everybody. We'll see you again soon. We will see you again soon here on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson, the Canadian Movie Crew podcast. <laughs> here we are, Branson, Missouri. No, Pelly, this is Bronson, Missouri. Mm, me. Well, how do we get to Branson? Number ten bus. Hey, Ma. How about some cookies? No dice. This ain't over.